0: We're here with Vanessa Runs, the author of The Summit Seeker, and we're here to talk about Tailwind and the Tailwind nut- Nutrition Tip.
1: So, Vanessa, welcome. What What is the your, your most favorite trail running tip that you'd like to share with the nation?
2: The best advice I ever got for trail running was don't be afraid to experiment, and uh, sometimes we get so bogged down into what everyone else is doing, and we want to do the same thing But there's a lot of options out there, and this applies to clothing or food. Um, You know, you might want to wear tech, you might want to wear cotton, you might want to eat real food or eat gels. There's just so much variety out there, and I would say just try everything, experiment, Um, you know, different shoes, different clothes. And when you find something that works for you, really stick with it.
1: Okay, I'm going to put you on the spot, Vanessa. Mm. What is the craziest thing that you've experimented with? that you thought, wow, that works for me?
2: Uh, Well, I don't know if I would recommend this one, but I... (laughs) That's the one we want. (laughs) It was a big experiment, but I tried for the very first time. My first time wearing Hoka's was the last 50 miles of one of my 100-mile races. Mm. Uh, And just my... I thought, well, you know, my feet aren't feeling so good. Maybe I'll try these brand-new pair of Hoka's that I've never worn before in my life. Um, and I'd always kind of had a background in minimalist running. So kind of very completely different from anything I've tried and it ended up working so well. Um, so again, you know, maybe not on race day, but in general in training, (laughs) don't be afraid to experiment.
1: That that goes against one of our cardinal rules of trail running, which is never, never try something new on race day. But in this case, it worked for you
2: yeah it did thankfully it could have gone bad but it worked out pretty
1: well Vanessa I'll I'll tell you I've done
0: that on two um, 100 mile runs and that is the last 50 or 40 or so or whatever that last stretch is to slip into a pair of hokas and for a set of feet that have been pounded and beaten it really feels good to put them inside that big cushion Oh
2: yeah, I definitely use them again after that
0: Scott what's the craziest? I'll put you on the spot Scott War. what is the craziest thing you've done
1: um, I'll tell you. Great. Um, on the, on the bottle of succeed caps, right? Vanessa, do you, do you use succeed caps? I don't. Okay. But you use I some kind of, you, do you use no. some kind of electrolyte.
2: I do. Yeah.
1: Okay. So I, when I first started running, I always had trouble with just salt on my face and cramps. And I kept looking at the bottle and it says that you shouldn't exceed like two caplets an hour. Uh huh. And I just got sick and tired of this. So I just started saying, you know what? Screw it. Every 20 minutes, 15 to 20 minutes, I'm going to take one of these things. And I thought, maybe I'm going to kill myself by taking so many of these. But that was the craziest thing I, I did. And for me, I need to take that many in order for me to keep the cramping to a, minimal, uh, a minimum and, and, and do well. I need to take way more than I'm supposed to. So now you've been thinking about it, Don. What's the craziest thing you've tried? You know, Scott? Napping on the trail? No, no, I, that, that worked. <laughs> that wasn't crazy at all.
0: It made complete sense at the time. Scott, I, I put on a Coca cocapella, a performance-enhancing. Ah,
1: that is crazy. <laughs> it's crazy, but it worked, and it worked great. So that, I recommend you do the same. Vanessa, thank you very much. That's a great tip. Experiment, and hopefully experiment in your training, not on race day. Um, but sometimes on race day, you've got to experiment. If you're in a, in a crazy if in a jam, place. If you're in a jam. You may may want to to try something new. Uh, But thank you very much for that Tailwind Nutrition tip of the trail. Go to TailwindNutrition.com. Try their challenge. It's a risk-free way to try something, to experiment with something new, and see if it works for you. I like it because it has calories, Scott. It has electrolytes, and it tastes good, too. It's
0: everything you need. It's not, it's not sugary, it's not sweet, and you know how you get just sweeted out on long runs. And you told take me that's it's a like. great condiment for watermelon. I have dipped my watermelon directly <laughs> into the Tailwind bag and went in for more. It's good. Vanessa, thank you very much. Go out and drink. Moss. You can find Tailwind Nutrition at tailwindnutrition.com, where you can take the Tailwind Challenge and run with the Tailwind. We are here with another running strategy from Petzl Headlamps, and we're with Sally McRae, and Sally's been on the podcast before. In fact, I've caught up to her on the trail. I'm sitting in an air-conditioned office here. It's comfortable, (laughs) and she is standing out on the trail looking at the Pacific Ocean. Welcome, Sally McRae.
3: Hello and and hello from from the Laguna Canyons. Yes, I am looking at the ocean. Beautiful
0: are, day. Are are you, are you you're in full gear? You're you're running by yourself? Are you solo out? I'm in full
3: gear. I got my my Solomon sack on. I got my my everything.
0: Yeah. Good. Well, we we <laughs> were just chatt- we were just chatting a bit and talking about some mm-hmm. safety on the trail. And why don't you tell us yeah. a little bit about a recent adventure? and some advice that you might have for, for yourself and others, should they be confronted in similar circumstances?
3: Okay, yeah. I actually um, just recently summited Mount Baldy. It's a, it's a training run. Uh, for those of you who are not familiar with Mount Baldy, it's um, a really awesome mountain, um, close by, it's about an hour away. You can summit it. It hits about 10,064 feet. A lot of people around in Southern California like to do it. I like to train on it. Um, the path I take you get about six, thousand feet of climbing and six miles it's It's awesome, so wow. I was I was uh yeah it's it's great. If you guys ever had a chance to visit Southern California that you got it, you got to hit it up. Um, but this particular day i you know I had a small amount of time to train, and I was very set on I need to get an elevation, I need to get in climbing. I'm in separation for a hundred mile or that it is very similar to this type of trail. So I I got up there in the afternoon and thought, you know what, I'm going to see a rad sunset. And knowing a little bit, you know, roughly how quick I can get up and how fast I can get down, I thought, okay, I should be able to get up and get down um, with all light. You know, I shouldn't shouldn't need a headlamp. Mm
4: -hmm.
3: Um, But unfortunately, as I summited, um, I got to the top and I thought, you know what, there's some enormous shadows from the surrounding mountains. Starting to cover my trail, and I, I started to realize I'm like, I think it's going to be a little bit darker than what I'm used to back home, and so these shadows started to come in. And so I, I took a picture of what what I looked like, what I was wearing, and I sent it to my training buddies, um, uh, Billy and Colin um, down south, who so I, I train with all the time. And I said, "All right, you guys, this is what I'm wearing," and you are very familiar with the trail. And I said, "If you don't hear from me in 90 minutes, be worried." <laughs> <laughs> So, while I call him, he texts me back, and he says, you have 30 minutes to get down before it's pitch black and the lions come out. And I'm like, awesome. Oh, Thanks so much for yeah. the experience. i so, <laughs> <laughs> so I go, go flying down the mountain, and I'm, you know, looking at the sun as it's starting to go down. And I had about two two miles remaining left in the trail. And most of the trail is completely exposed. But those last two miles, you hit tunnels of trees and – It's then just completely pitch black. I mean, there is Mm. no light anywhere. Civil light is gone. There's not, you know, street lamps obviously out on the trail. And I'm alone. So I am, I have not seen one person as I went to the top, and I did not see one person as I went down. I saw, I think, a a deer. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Anyway, I had, before I, I left, I decided to just to be careful. I stashed a headlamp in my pack and it didn't have the best light, but I threw that thing on and then I kept my, um, my cell phone out and every now and then I get intermittent reception and I get texts, you know, the guys are checking on me. And um, then I kept that headlamp and just, um, decided, okay, the, the safest thing I can do right now is be very careful with my fitting. And so I shortened my steps, made my steps really short. I picked up my feet as best I could, put my eyes on the trail I'm just focused on getting back at the car. Obviously, <laughs> yes, I am thinking about animals. I'm thinking <laughs> about one bad step, and I twist my ankle, and what's going to happen. But you know, whirling at that point wasn't going to do anything for me. my My goal at that point was to get back to my car quickly, and just to focus on moving forward. So, I guess my, my tip of the tray, you know, the, the most important thing is if you're going somewhere solo, always pack for you know, stuff like that, pop light, whether or not you think you're going to need it or not. Um, I had, I did have extra water. That was good. But then also if you're able to bring a phone, if you know some people are so against that, but having kids and just hearing tons of stories of people, people getting lost on the trails, even the most experienced ones, I bring a phone and it was really helpful to say, Hey, this is what I'm wearing. This is where I am guys. Um, you know, I'm sending it to my friends and praise on on this trail. They know exactly where I am. And you know, checking in and that was that was the best i could do i wrote a little bit of, i wrote a story about it on my blog it's called it's titled 10,064 that's the the mm-hmm. elevation peak elevation of the height so you can read a little bit more about that but um yeah safety first <laughs> i know that's a cheesy cliche but seriously safety first in all we do so so there you go
0: <laughs> you're absolutely right you know i've been out on runs where i think you know what there is, there's no chance I'm going going to need a light for this. And then mm-hmm. something happens, either I bump what? into a few people and we chat it up a little bit, and and I'm not thinking about time, or or I take this, oh I just want to go off on this little spot, or or I get turned around and get lost in this little spot. Or, you know, you name the number of mm-hmm. reasons, and, and they're all there. And and all right. of a sudden, I'm racing the sun, trying to get back home, thinking, what in the heck did I just do? And, right. and so it 's always smart if you 're on the bubble if you 're even considering it to throw a headlamp in your pack so you have something because mm-hmm. it 's not they 're not that heavy, and it could be the difference between you know making it back or or trying to to feel your way through and and there's there 's nothing worse than that mm-hmm. I also like Absolutely. your I also like your your thought about you know we like to be minimalists so at least a lot of us do, and I am not bringing a phone because you know, doing that is, seems anti-trail, but you know yeah. what? There's, there's especially solo. There's things that can happen to us out there. We can twist Absolutely. an ankle. That can happen. We can, yeah. You know, we can hit our head on something. That can happen. You mm-hmm. know, uh, Scott Wara has uh, um, gone underneath a tree that had fallen across the trail and picked his head up too early, and he had a gash across the top of his head that made it look like he was. Uh, um, well it's a good picture. Let's put it that way. You, there's a lot of blood from the scalp. And oh, man. things happen to us and think of the phone, what does it weigh? It doesn't weigh much. Maybe think of it as training. Yes. You know, on race day you right. don't have to carry it. But on but when you're when you're out there training and especially if you're alone, then it's I don't think it's a mm-hmm. bad addition. Yeah,
3: and, and you know what? Just to further that I need to I wouldn't be able to be able to do the child tip
0: right now, <laughs> That's right. We couldn't do this if you didn't have your phone with you. But here's what I want to know, because it's becoming it's becoming nighttime. Did you bring a lamp? Because you could get called on a training run to do to do a a podcast tip, right? <laughs> Right. I mean, exactly. you, you, People you
3: are being your phone, you know, and Don's going to call
0: you. You <laughs> didn't know at the beginning of your run that, you know, anything could happen and this is one of the things. You could get a text and, "Hey, do you have a minute? We could do it. We can uh talk a little strategy."
3: <laughs> right, right. I thankfully I'm I'm very very close to my car and I uh-huh. still got <laughs> <laughs> a solid 2 hours left of sun, but um so I, you're right, yeah, today I did not bring my my headlamp with me It's a different show. I'm not out in the mountains right now i'm in I'm in the canyons and i can I can get to
0: a, a road so, super quick Sally right now. Y- you don't know how long this tip's gonna be. We may talk for another two or three <laughs> hours so <laughs> right? we, 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 yeah, yeah what are you what are you thinking?
3: <laughs> Can't a tangent so we can talk about anything. <laughs>
0: That is true. But what, what's, what's certain is you need a decent headlamp. And, and whether it's an early morning run start so you can maximize your opportunity to train or or whether you're trying to stretch out that evening time and you don't want to compromise your miles, get a decent headlamp. And, and they're light, and they, they, don't, they don't weigh much, and they make the world of difference when you have a, a quality light. You can continue training as if it was daytime. The the uh, the light the, the what Petzl has done with their now headlamp, their ultra running headlamp that you see Killian wearing out there, is designed specifically for ultra running, and that's that's something unique and different. I need, than I need
3: to get one of those.
0: You, you, you do. And and <laughs> <laughs> we we were running out. Uh, we had a chance to to run on a, a, a nighttime run, and there was the pacer that I had said, "Oh my goodness, look at that lamp over there." And I said, "Yeah, that's the now. That's the Petzl now." And he goes. Ooh, that's nice. <laughs> it's yeah. it's light. It was designed for uh, it. It it was designed to fit right, and it just broadcasts a lot of a lot of brightness out there. So, um, go check out Petzl. Check out their performance series. They have some fantastic lamps out there. That's what I'm running with, and and uh, Scott's running with it as well. And I've got to say that soon Sally McRae will be in her now headlamp as well because she is one that likes to, to be on the cutting edge of what's, ha- what's happening out there. You, <laughs> I do. You, 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 you can reach her. Where, where can we reach you, Sally? At
3: sallymccrae.com.
0: She's doing some coaching, <laughs> and you can, you can have her as your individual mentor if you're looking for a coach. She does a great job, so go out and grab a Petzl headlamp, run in the morning or at night, and extend your opportunity to train. Moss. Are we recording?
3: You guys ready?
1: Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Recording. I'm I'm stretching my groin.
0: And action. <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready. I see you, I see you looking at, <laughs> over your shoulder as if you're about to be
5: overtaken by a, 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 an angry receptionist. See, that's just proving I'm, I'm not in my office.
0: Oh, yeah. Nice.
5: Hey,
0: Okay, Warren, here's what we'll do. Because I can see behind you, this will be the cue. Yeah. Can you see me? This is the cue that you're about to be overrun. All
5: right. <laughs> <laughs> that, that means
0: the militia has come. <laughs> I'll be waving my hands. Very I, nice. I've just got
5: a wall here to run into. <laughs> All
0: right, Scott. I'm All right, ready? here we go. Okay, you have Warren's topics. I do. But I don't it's even not know gonna, what they it's are. It's, it's not, not going to matter. Don't even know what they it's are. It's not going to okay. matter. We're just going to go. I,
5: I'm glad. Has them.
0: Okay. Hey, hey, Warren. Let's have you uh, kick this thing off. Would you?
5: Okay. Ready when you yeah,
0: are. We <laughs> say welcome to another edition. Isn't always say thanks for joining. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Doesn't matter. Say whatever do you whatever like, you Warren. Want. You 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 intro this thing. Okay. okay. Thanks for
5: joining and welcome to another Trail Runner Nation. It's a truly international nation this morning, as nations probably should be, really, Um, with Don and Scott bringing it to you live from somewhere in Western America and uh, me from somewhere in northern India, in an absolute pea soup, halfway up a mountain. Yes, India. Good morning, welcome, and let's talk about running a long way.
1: That sounds, that sounds fantastic. Okay, we, we, we first need to address the issue, Warren, that you are in India. What in the heck are you doing in India? Is there a race in India?
5: Um, there, there is a race in India, um, and the race in India is for survival, and it is undertaken <laughs> by the entire population every single day. Ah. Uh, um, so, no, I'm not here for running. I am here for uh, my other job, which is uh, journalism. You're, and yeah. I can't actually go into too many details. Suffice to say, I'm visiting six different places around northern India over five days, checking out a load of stuff for stories next year.
0: Nice. So, so if we wanted to find out what you're checking out, how, how in the future? could, we, <laughs> could <laughs>
1: When will we find out what you were doing in India?
0: Yeah. Could we get onto your website? Will it be there? What, what would we do if we wanted to learn more about Wharnpole in India?
5: Well, I think there will certainly be tips on my website, but once this project... The project is already underway, but it's going to be a series of films made out here Hmm. uh, about various aspects of uh, Indian life. And so they will be out around April, May time. By March time, I'm sure we'll have plenty of heads up and stories of things will be out. We can pass those on. But right now I'm in Chail, which is in Himachal Pradesh in northern India, and I'm up at the top of a mountain because here they have the world's highest cricket pitch. There you go. <laughs> Cutting edge hard news.
1: Okay. You just talk about a tease. You're, 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 you said two words that I have no idea because I'm not British. What is cricket pitch? Is that like the, is that the sound that a cricket makes when he's singing, Scott? I think it's like you, in or cricket. A game cr- cricket is like
0: baseball, so it must be the the pitcher on the mound throwing a ball. That's my cricket pitch.
1: You're making assumptions, Warren. Educate us.
5: You you are you are definitely uh, well. Well, Scott, you are definitely closer. <laughs> <laughs> I am sure you might want to check the pitch of a cricket, as in the animal and his sound. Uh, if that was your thing, but what we're talking about here is the great game of cricket, which is Ah. um, a game longer and slower than American football, from what I can understand. Um, (laughs) We we stop just about as often. But instead of all the players sitting on the bench most of the time and only coming on for five minutes, all of the players wear white trousers and shirts and stand on the pitch the whole time while two of the others throw a ball at each other and try and uh, hit it while trying to hit some sticks in between. And and the famous thing about cricket... um, is that it's almost impossible to understand unless you grew up with it.
1: (laughs) I've heard that before, and that's why I've never tried to understand it.
5: Uh, It's it's also not an easy game to play because it requires a full team on both sides. You can't really play a proper game of cricket without that. So it's all a bit committed. But cricket is big in in England, uh, and we, we did invent it, but it is absolutely bloody massive in India.
0: Really? Is that right? So did, mm. did, did you play cricket as a, as, a, as a child growing up?
5: I played cricket as a child, yes.
1: Huh.
5: Well, Much like <laughs> you guys would have played baseball.
1: Right, right. I was just wondering. So they, they had like little league cricket?
5: Yeah, you, you, they start you off with tennis balls and stuff like that before they progress you onto the, uh, the wood and the leather ball, which uh, uh, you, know, you sort of need to know roughly which way it's coming from before they give you that one because it does hurt when it goes the wrong way.
1: Have there been any famous cricket players that have graduated uh, either up or down, depending on your point of view, to baseball?
5: Well, um, to my knowledge, no. I think the two get very specialized, and most cricket players would probably consider it. Uh, let's just say they wouldn't consider it a graduation.
0: Okay. <laughs> no, let me. Did, does the cricket bat? Isn't that flatter on the surface? Is I and wider. I think and wider. Now, I,
5: I see where you're going here, and <laughs> there's nothing I can do apart from grit my teeth. God damn it, yes, you're right. It's a bigger, flatter bat in cricket.
0: Huh? I, I, I don't think our, our instrument is quite like that, Scott. I think we've made them
1: smaller and round. Yeah, but I would, I would probably venture to guess that cricket players do not indulge in the performance-enhancing gr- drugs ah, that yes. our baseball in America has been plagued with of recent in the news yes we've been soiled one of our famous well, I, I don't know if you if you follow baseball but one of our famous baseball players just today or yesterday was suspended for two years because of steroid use D- allegations D- allegations of steroid use
5: and and was it because uh, i i had there was a Uh, A baseball player a few years ago, and he was um, a very high-profile case for growth hormone use. Barry Bonds. That's the one. And I just thought, baseball doesn't look that hard. It's like cricket. I can't imagine you (laughs) using drugs in cricket, apart from things to help you stay awake.
1: (laughs) It made his head awfully large. Anyway, hey, let's talk about running and not cricket, hey? (laughs) Running—that's a good it's idea. Come trail on, let the, runner start. nation. So I, I'm going to jump right into it. I, I don't know if the if the nation members know this, but if if they don't, it's about time they did. When we every once in a while finally get back in touch with Warren, we throw it to him. We say, Warren, what do you want to talk about? And he usually thinks about it for five minutes and shoots us an email uh, with some topics because he's more creative than he we is. are. He, he absolutely. is absolutely. We're we're just dumb. <laughs> Anyway, I'm going to jump right into this. If there was ever a chance for me to edit, Scott, that would that, be where I, that, that would that would be like where you want to cut it. Yeah. What what minute are I we? I at? just
5: get tactically silent through the whole thing, so you've got a really clean patch there. Do with it whatever you like. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so I'm going to jump into uh, topic number two, and I'll just have you run with this and explain. Mm. Running isn't just for runners anymore. What in the heck do you mean by that?
5: So what I mean with that is uh, I I was recently uh, talking with some friends from the north of England, and there is a a big north-south divide, perceived and real and otherwise cultural, social, all sorts, in the UK. So in the north, um, traditionally, that's the heart of British industry. Uh, Clearly, British industry doesn't exist anymore. Therefore, it's a lot of unemployment, and uh, people up there generally pride themselves on being tougher, uh, they don't feel the cold as much, they're, they're stronger, they're <laughs> harder, whereas down in the south, people generally are softer, there's a bit more money going around, um, they're a bit more I don't know, fancy and all that sort of thing, so when it comes down to running, uh, the north is also the heart of British fell running, uh, which is, do uh, you have fell
1: running over there? Uh, we, we talked a little bit about fell running, I'm drawn a blank, what is fell running?
5: Fell fel running is basically. The I know practice. I fall a lot running. <laughs> it's like if you fell in the past and you were running, this, this would be it. <laughs> it it's it's that the north is also, it has a lot more um, relief than the south of England. So, south of England is pretty flat and uniform. North of England is uh, hilly. I'm not going to go as far as to call it mountainous because you have real mountains over there. But it's pretty uh, stark and, and hilly up there. More, so, it's much like the running peop- down these hills.
0: Much like the people. The land and the geography reflects the similar hardness and toughness.
5: You're absolutely right. So it, all of that goes together, <laughs> and their favorite thing for running up there, it's been going on for, for generations, is simply, uh, right, here's a really big hill. We're going to start a race at the bottom of it, run to the top, and come back down. It, right. It's trail running, really, by, without the trail, but with all the, the the ground and the challenge, the rocks, the obstacles. and These races can be quite long. Traditionally, they're about 5 to 10 miles maximum. And um, I can't even remember where I'm going talking about fell fell running. Fell
1: running. Well, actually, let me throw in a little thing. And I'm going to show my ignorance of international running. But I was just following um, uh, on Facebook the uh, Solomon running. And they were Mm. doing a a segment on, I guess, at the Mont Blanc. There's a fell run. Is that Am I
5: right? Uh, there's, there are several races that would be similar to fell runs out there. Yes.
1: Okay, and they were just showing this one run where Killian killed the 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 record, and it, it was actually re- I think I showed you this video, Don. All these people are just like huffing and puffing up this hill. They're using uh, trekking poles. I don't. What do you call them in Britain?
5: We we would call them. Uh, that I think that translates to.
1: Trekking poles. Okay, trekking poles. <laughs> <laughs> and, and 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 they show all these people just huffing and puffing up this really steep hill, and then they show Killian, and the guy doesn't have any poles, and he's just like flying up the hill. But I, and I was thinking, what's well, not time for Mont Blanc yet? The tour to Mont Blanc. And then I, of course, did a little more research, and I realized this was just a, a race that they run to the top of the mountain and back, or something like that. So, Mom, is
5: that a vertical mile? Is that do they do that out there, or is that somewhere else?
1: It may be. I don't know. I'm not sure. I think there's a lot about running that we don't know.
0: It, <laughs> where, 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 where do you reside? Are, are you in the north side or the south side of, of England?
5: Okay, so I'm I'm in the the south side of England, ah, uh, uh-huh. which you would know if you, if you came here by the fact you can understand me speaking.
0: Ah, uh-huh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I see.
5: I, so, I do have family roots from back there. Just before any of those hard Northerners come down and decide to punch me in the face, um, but yeah, I, I am. I am from and reside in the the south of England. And, and as a as a, a contrast, south of England running could be dominated by the London Marathon, uh, which is like our, clearly it's like the New York Marathon. It's uh, it's huge. It has people dressed as rhinoceroses and giant babies <laughs> and it has thousands of people in very expensive kit most of them uh you know achieving personal best but doing it quite slowly and spending quite a lot of money to do it i mean an entry to the under marathon is typically 40 or so pounds but most people pay much much more because there's only a small number of places at that price um and in the north of england you could classify running by fell running uh, a load of blokes would turn up in a field. It wouldn't matter how cold it is. They'd all be wearing their old shorts, their old shoes, and possibly a singlet that someone gave them once. Uh, they might have a cup of tea. They would enter a fell race, typically costing between two and three pounds, oh. and uh, they would run as hard as they bloody could up this mountain and back down again, shake hands, and that would be it for the day. So that, that, that is the difference between culture in the north and the south and, and running in the north and the south. And this is what I was talking about with these guys when we started thinking, in the north, you kind of need to be a runner. The, the culture is that fell-running type culture, and kind of if you did it, you, you, because your, your brother did it, because your dad did it, because your grandfather did it, and you've always run. Uh, whereas if you're a person who ran and got injured, or ran and found it was difficult, or ran and found it just just didn't work for you somewhere or another there wouldn't be a sort of safety net of running that would catch you and go, no, come on, you can do this. It would just be the simple fact like, "Uh, you're not a runner, it's not for you. So the people who become runners in the north are those who are naturally adapted to it and who grew up doing it. In the south, look at the London Marathon. You've got people who basically couldn't run at all signing up for a marathon three months before because their neighbor did it, they've seen it on TV, some celebrities did it, and they go, well, what the hell, I'll try. And then... The beauty of technology through wonderful things like yourselves at Trail Runner Nation, people like me who aren't those born natural runners get to learn about running and realize they can do it. And the, the barriers that come to them through injury and mental attitude or whatever can be overcome by sharing this knowledge.
1: So that, that, that boils down to the, the big debate, and let's talk about this for a minute. Nature versus nurture, okay? Because uh, the three of us sitting here... Um, I would say of the three of us, and and I hope I don't offend, um, of the three of us, who is more designed to be an ultra runner? I sh- I'm probably the least I, I designed would, to I be s- a runner. I would I am, say Warren. I, 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 at I, him. I, I was going to say that. I didn't want to offend my friend Don here because he's a pretty talented runner, but mm. you, just by you know getting to know you and looking at your your body style, you look more like nature made you to be a runner where you look at me and i'm one of those guys that that you probably see at the beginning of a race and people are going who's he who is he crewing <laughs> we're, we're good aid station workers <laughs> yeah we're designed for that i'm here to break down the the starting uh, uh starting line we have quick hands and compassion so so wh- what's your stance on nature versus nurture
0: go on though well no i think you were describing some nature nurture i think that uh that, that the beauty of the sport allows, allows the uh, front runners to exercise their, their nature and, and reach their potential. But it also allows us in the, in the back to challenge ourselves, too, both physiologically and mentally and
1: emotionally and all of those things. So. So, so here's my question for you. This, that was a pre-question to the question? It was. Okay. Here's the question. To be an elite runner, mm-hmm. do you need to be naturally born a runner or can oh, somebody that oh, is not born as a runner like me my body style is there any hope or chance that I could be an elite runner Warren you know in 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 the theme of cricket and baseball knock this one out of the park
0: sir <laughs> go ahead
5: <laughs> to, uh, knocking it out of the park in baseball would equate to hitting it for six in cricket I'm hitting means- it for six well, hit gonna- it for
0: six would you Warren <laughs>
5: I I will attempt, and I think the the short answer is can runners without innate natural ability become absolute elite high-level performers? Then I am going to say no, Uh, for a variety of reasons. The first one being if running is not in your nature, you invariably don't come to it early enough to develop the... um, all over strength and and technique and and abilities and fitness to genuinely reach that elite level. Um, Also, I think at any level of elite sport, right? We're talking creme de la creme here. We're not talking, you know, guys who who do really, really amazing stuff, but we're we're talking the guys on the podium. Um, You can't get there without massive natural talent, massive natural talent on its own will go nowhere. Massive natural talent then needs to be tied to massive mental determination and strength allied to perfect training and dedication. And in most sport, less so in ultra running because there isn't that financial barrier. Um, In most sport, there also requires a huge amount of luck. And you will have a number of people with the talent, with the dedication, with the drive, who don't actually make it to the top level for some chance missing of a revolving door at some point in their career.
0: I couldn't agree with you more, Scott. There isn't any hope for you and I to, to get up front. <laughs> That's just the, the nature of it. But I, I would like to to take your, your uh, theory and just liken it to someone that wants to sing. Now, it doesn't matter how many hours you spend in the shower singing, <laughs> how many lessons you take. Brother, if you can't carry a note, you're not going to be able to, to make it on the radio. It doesn't matter how loud you sing, it you still can't
1: carry a note. <laughs> it doesn't matter.
0: And I think the same goes for all, all things that require talent, whether you're a painter, a singer, you're playing an instrument of some kind, whether you're a runner, it, it, whether you're a teacher. You know, there, there are many things that we're just, are just gifts that are given that we, that we can explore and, and then reach a potential that others cannot. We just have to find what those are. That's all. That's, those are my thoughts.
5: Well, no, I, I think that's absolutely right, but I think the difference is in, if we were to crystallize north of England running culture as it has largely been, then the nature runners are the ones who made it through. Mm-hmm. Uh, the nurture runners didn't get much of a look in because there wasn't really a place for them to get into the sport. Now, it's it's sort of grown in in the south of England, it's filtering through into the north of England now, uh, where you see people who aren't runners who are now becoming trail runners, Um and I would class myself, again, as not a runner. I've had a, a long history of just annoying, niggling injury. My, my body didn't seem to like running very much, and uh, it's had to get over a lot of hurdles to get back there. But it, the encouragement I've had has made me realize that for us in the nurture camp, um, our personal boundaries are only where we want to put them, and every hurdle that comes up is nothing that can't be uh, leapt over, Um, to use some sort of really poor hurdling analogy, um, if you just want to work at it and if you have the desire to do it.
1: Okay, so now I'm going to take this to another level here. Is this part three of the...
0: You notice how sophisticated (laughs) Scott is with his questions? He'll set up a question just sometimes even on a prior podcast. (laughs) He will set up a question... In advance
1: for a future podcast, you've got to watch him. he's very, very clever actually it's because i don't like the answers I'm getting oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so here's the question aren't we mm. all aren't we all natural runners
5: aren't we all natural runners
1: don't, um, don't aren't we all, I mean, you, you go back to Christopher McDougall's book, Born to Run. We're all born to run. We're all born to sing. We can all
0: sing, back to my <laughs> metaphor, my analogy, rather. But not well. Yeah, I mean, you can, you can sing your favorite song, but it may not be pleasant to listen to. Now, the same goes with running. You're going to be able to get to point B. It just may not be fast, which I will say is an important component because the, the person that may be fast can get there and run that animal down or whatever that mission was, but somebody needs to be able to carry the animal back. And that's the that's, three of us. That's me. <laughs> we have endurance, we have strength,
1: and, and we have determination, and we can put that animal
0: on our I'll, back and I'll get ev- it to camp.
1: I'll eventually get to the dead animal after someone
0: kills it. <laughs> we'll, leave, we'll leave earlier. That's fine. But we can't run it down. But the guy that usually runs it down, he's not much for carrying.
5: No, but getting to the animal... By the time it has been run down, that is a perfect ultra running strategy. That is efficiency personified. <laughs> get there early, doing all that work and tiring yourself out. You know, you just want to get there, feed and go. Sounds sounds perfectly sensible. Now, I, I think as a race of uh, human beings, we, yes, we are all born to run, but uh, some of us are better at it naturally than others. Uh, but at least those of us who are not uh, now, and I think technology plays a big part in this with. Uh, I say things like your podcast, uh, just spreading that knowledge and making people realize, do you know what? If I want to do this, I can.
1: Um, so back to your Northern England fell runners. Um, yeah. Traditionally, I'm sure I'm sure it's evolved, but traditionally, were those natural born runners up in Northern England? Did they train, or was it something that they were farmers and they went out and? you know, took care of the sheep and did whatever, and and when it came time for the fell race, they put on their galoshes and went and ran and did well? Or did they actually train?
5: They trained, yes, they they definitely did train. Uh, And and within that sort of uh, natural group of runners, you had varying levels of ability, but we're talking everyone's pretty good and above. Um, And so the ones at the front would be training, but it would be that sort of, Gritty, hard northern training, which would involve riding 10 miles to get to a race. Sorry, running 10 miles to get to a race, then winning it, then running home, or you know, running to work and taking a 20-mile loop on the way back. Uh, that that sort of training, as well as. Um, one, one of my arguments for for saying that southern runners are actually harder than northern runners over here w- was the fact that for them, well, you know, you live, and, and a lot of them are they're, they're farmers, There's a lot of fell runners, they're, they're like mountain goats. They're on that terrain the whole time. They walk out their back door, and there it is. Whereas if you're a soft southern runner like myself, you've got a 300-mile drive followed by a massive disadvantage because you're not on your local territory. And the only hills we get in the south of England are really little mole hills. So... Uh, yeah, they they have that natural environment combined with hard training, can just combined with that sort of a culture of it, and and that culture accepted the natural runner, and it was harder for the unnatural runners to break in. But I think those boundaries are changing now.
1: That's what I was going to ask. Can can you as a as a soft southern runner, can you go up there and and maybe I mean, what, what is the 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 attitude now? Do they embrace the southern softies or? Or they say, "Hey, softy, why don't you go have a crumpet and leave the fell running to us?"
5: <laughs> there, there's, there's a bit. Is of that both, is that right?
1: I mean, Did I s- pronounce crumpet right?
5: You absolutely <laughs> pronounce crumpet right, and uh, that that would be the kind of thing a soft southerner might go and eat in between a skinny <laughs> f- latte somewhere in some Ponzi coffee bar. Um, The the things are changing at both ends, but I I think the the man-to-man embrace has a long way to go in in the north of England. A a handshake and a a steely look in the eye is about as far as it goes up there, and that expresses most emotions. Um, So, no, but they're they're not telling you to go home either. There might be a degree of, oh, look at this posh git turning up with his posh trainers or or something like that, Um, but it would never be vocalised, and really you'd be judged on, on your running and how you were as a person. Um, so I, I think any real resilience is not, you, you can happily be a softie from the South and go fell running and you might get a couple of funny looks, but, uh, at the end, if you finish the race, it doesn't make any odds.
0: So is, is, is the dress code for a Northern versus, versus Southern runner? Very easy to distinguish. You could look at a person and go easily. He's from the North. He's from the South based on their attire.
5: Yeah. If they're wearing old stuff, that's inappropriately cold for the weather, um, and they look like runners, they're probably from the north. If they're wearing too much new stuff that's inappropriately hot for the weather, they're probably from the south.
0: Does anybody from the north have a GPS watch on?
5: Unlikely. Mm. Probably be seen as a, a sign of uh, weakness,
0: I think. <laughs> to wear a piece of technology, certainly weakness. I can understand that. Even if
5: there's fog and visibility of about 10 meters, it, it would not be done to... I mean, a watch, frankly, is probably pushing it a bit.
0: So so I imagine th- that's why the the uh, divide between the aid stations and and what's what's there I would think that a northern runner would pride themselves on on just maybe finding some grub on the trail and and just chewing on something that might be growing naturally <laughs> grab some bark some bark or yeah
5: Yeah they'd possibly just put some uh you know some cake or some sandwiches in their bag if it was a really long way or in their pocket um, but they, they they wouldn't be much for stashing themselves full of fancy glossy looking gels or, or anything like that. But yeah. um, I mean, looking at this this north south divide here, we, we we've got a we're global. Uh, what what about the US? Is is there this divide in, in the kind of runner who turns up with all the gear and doesn't really know much but really wants to have a go versus those who feel they've been doing it forever and it's it's their god given right to be running this race?
0: Well, I, you know, I I I was hoping that we could talk about that because <laughs> <laughs> as and, and I just want to take it to the East Coast and and, and talk a little bit about that because um, people may not know because this is that that I I believe England actually came over to our place right is that is that how part of this started
5: Yeah, I, I think
0: <laughs> you guys, guys sent some folks over.
5: It sort of started promisingly and ended badly. <laughs> so, it, in the British Empire,
0: as you guys hopped across the pond, what's amazing to me as this divide, which I knew nothing about in England, um, that you've described, and I could see there's quite a division. And I look at our original colonies and, and then our southern states. My goodness, there is as similar to the dialect that you're talking about, where you can listen to a person and say clearly, he's from the north versus south. We have the same thing over on this end as you as you know someone from Boston, New York sounds much different than Georgia or from from the Carolinas. Louisiana, from Louisiana much different. And yeah. and the cultures D- dynamic different, but when you get further e- you know west, we seem to be more homogenized. Were you going to talk about running differences? No, just- I just wanted to talk about people <laughs> and culture and food and and, you know, all of the different things. I think that's amazing. So I think you guys, when you came over, brought that with you, this north-south thing. It all started with you. <laughs> <laughs> are you blaming Warren? <laughs> Directly, Warren, you, you I, are responsible.
5: I would like apologize for all north-south divides around the world. I mean, they even have one in Italy, but it's, it's upside down. All the um, sort of uh, toughness resides in the north, and all, all the uh, sort of uh, ponciness uh, resides in the South? Did I get that right? No, no, the no, yeah, no. other way yeah. around. Flip it, that. It's tough in the south and, and soft in the north. In
1: so, Yeah. Um, I was going to ask: Is fell running becoming more popular? I mean, was there like one or two a year during the winter and spring solstice, and and now there's hundreds of them, or or is it? What's what's the popularity of fell running?
5: Fell running is. Um, probably as old as the hills itself, it it struggles to grow because there are only so many hills that they can run up and down Um, so you can't really do it in the south of England, the only thing that equates to a fell run in the south of England is that weird run that I did where you run around all of the Tube stations in central London, and you run overground between the stations, and when you get to the station, you run down into the into the station, Hmm. run down to the platform, and back up again, and you you do a sort of marathon distance doing that. So uh, that's the only thing we would have that's really like a fell run, certainly in London. So it's limited by geography, um, but also uh, I was looking into this for a story for Runners World, and talking with the Fell Running Association organisers, they said really we. We don't really want any publicity because we've got more members than we can handle. And if it got any bigger, we'd have to put the prices up and we don't want to do that. Now, can you imagine any, <laughs> uh, any commercial organization? thinking that you know that that is soul running at its at its absolute utmost and I almost felt bad writing about it because I didn't want to spoil soul running for anybody.
0: <laughs> well, you you know we talked about culture and that was one of the things in culture that we talked about the fear of a sport becoming more popular this is with Bob Crowley. Yep. And um we talked about as as popularity grows an influx of participants from other cultures come in and dilute the initial and the original um quality and character of the sport so they were they're they're smart people over there at fell (laughs) fell.com
5: yeah i'm not sure there's a website i mean you could probably find the british fell running organization or is it association i can't quite remember
1: if i if i can find it i'm linking it i already wrote wrote a note down
5: but but to any any global runners out there if you find yourself in england and you have the chance to run a fell race do it. it. It's an absolute. You know, it, it's a running experience that, that everyone should. You might not enjoy it at the time. They're normally very <laughs> brutal, so they're over pretty quickly. And uh, I, I would just highly, highly recommend it.
1: I can't re- recall. Did you say you've done one or two?
5: I, I have done some, yes. Uh, mostly they have done me, but <laughs> I, I have.
0: Let's you know. Let's talk as as we have the wisdom of of Warren here. Um, let's talk about what do we think. Back in the day, back before more before the written uh, history, do you think they were racing back in the day? Do you think they were doing similar things where they they gathered on a on a Saturday early in the morning and and uh, took out their their the bladder from a deer or something as to carry water and and ran around like I mean just for sport, not just for, for sport, not, not
1: for just for sport, livelihood, but for sport. I,
5: you know, I don't know. I'm in two minds here because. The Indian experience proves that um, there's not so much of that you know sport is a leisure activity, and leisure is a privilege conferred by you know the more money you 're able to earn and suddenly you have this thing called free time, and then you can instead of eating to survive, you can work on well, I can already eat to survive, how can I eat to perform?" Whereas when you are in a situation of eating, working, and living to survive, anything else comes a bit secondary. However, people culturally uh, have always found ways to enjoy themselves, and uh, what better than going thrashing yourselves up and down a hill with mm-hmm. a pig's bladder covered in blood? So I'm going to say <laughs> yes. Goddamn it! Fell running in England has been going on since the earth was created.
1: <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> Okay, before we run out of time, I want to jump to another topic because I, I, the the other topic on here, we're we're not going to hit all of them, but the other topic I thought was very interesting. Um, you talk about eating like a hippie freak.
5: Ah, uh, yes. So so
1: so migrating from eating like a hippie freak to now you're eating for health, and talk about your experiences and and what's happening with your physique.
5: Well, I mean, I had—I uh, would consider I had a, a pretty good diet for for reasons I'm sure we'll come to in the future. But uh, I, I had experimented a lot with my own diet and, and found things that worked for me in running, and uh, I'd incorporated a, a lot of superfood in there, and I felt I had a, a pretty good balance going, but. Um, As we all know, I think, I I can count us all into this group probably a lot of people listening, the more you examine diet and performance, the more you realize that uh, most of the modern diet is totally awful for us when it comes to running and sustained energy and performance. So uh, the biggest evils being uh, anything that is processed. Um, Gluten is possibly an issue for a lot more people than realize it. Dairy might be an issue for some, but the biggest one of all is sugar. And... uh, being someone who who naturally does not put on weight, I've never had to worry what I eat in terms of that. You know, so if I eat a load of crap for a bit, it doesn't really show. Um, I, I feel it on the inside, but so I historically, you know, I do indulge in probably more sugar than I should, um, even though I had the rest of the diet balanced out. So because of ongoing injury, I'm, I'm still uh, I'm I'm over the worst of the the Achilles trouble, and I'm now looking at putting it to bed forever. I'm running again. Um, and that's great but I was at the Lavaredo Alta Trail in Italy a couple of months ago and I was unable to race but uh, my wife and I booked two weeks to be there so we went we had a great time just hung out, enjoyed the mountains, uh, watched the race um, and we bumped into this guy and he was talking about diet and he, he was 50, and I, could, I nearly fell over because he, he didn't look like 35, really. And unless he was just lying, but it was just this, it felt like fate. Not that I, I believe in such things, but he just, why would we bump into this guy? Why were we talking to him? Why did this subject come up? Why did he suddenly start explaining to us that he just, you know, he doesn't eat foods that inflame his body? And historically, he's had knee trouble, and when he eats the right things, it goes away, and it's just a question of balance. So I thought, look, enough. I'm going to bite the bullet. For one month, uh, I'm going to do zero sugar, zero alcohol, zero caffeine, zero dairy, and zero wheat. Um, and when you decide to do that, you go to the supermarket and realize you can't eat anything.
1: <laughs> exactly, yeah. Uh,
5: have, it, it's, sorry, go on.
0: No, have, you, have you done this? Have you accomplished it? As, did I miss that part? Are we in the middle no, of it? The, Where are we at, Warren?
5: The month is complete. And this, this is, uh, it, it was enlightening in many ways in that first of all, Matt, you can't, when you, when you take those things out of your diet, even if you have a good diet, you realize, well, you know, okay, occasionally I do have a chocolate bar or some cake. Yeah. I do have a beer occasionally or a glass of wine. Um, and suddenly you have to rid your house and your fridge of this stuff because my wife and I were terrible. We'd say, right, let's not have any sugar this week. And, um, then either she'd buy some or I'd buy some. And then it would be in the house. And then we go, well, we better get rid of that. <laughs> and, uh, we'd do it, by it. it would and just be a shame
1: to throw it away.
5: Well, you can't waste food, right? Right. They're so, starving uh, around, people in India. Exactly. I could have brought it over here. <laughs> but we, we, got rid of, we got rid of all of that. We went, And you just have to adjust your mindset. And that's almost the hardest thing, resetting on what you can buy in the supermarket. And, and instead of thinking, what can't I buy? You've got to look positive and go, okay, well, what can I buy? And in the first week, that appears to be chickpeas. <laughs> <laughs> until you get your head around it. And you spend a lot of time being hungry. But it's difficult to, I, I don't know about you guys, did you grow up with that sort of finish what's on your plate, don't be oh, a fussy eater? Oh, yeah.
1: You're sitting here till midnight until that plate is clean.
5: Exactly. So to suddenly become a fussy eater, you know, you go to restaurants and you have to order special. You, um, you, you know, People invite you for dinner and, and then, as I discovered, rapidly uninvite you for dinner um, because they say, oh, hey, is there anything that you can't eat? So they send you over a nice friendly email a couple of days before. or either of you vegetarian or anything? And you send back an email going, actually, now you've asked. <laughs> And then, what do you know about uh, like a few hours before you're supposed to be going for dinner? They say, "Oh, sorry, I got a terrible stomach ache." Can we <laughs> postpone a bit? Like maybe till you finish this ridiculous diet you're doing. did did you, and, uh, did,
0: did you have to change your store, the location of your shopping, to something a little more diet friendly for you?
5: uh yeah we had to go to some places uh where people go who wear sandals (laughs) (laughs) that that was pretty popular and you know five years ago i I, no way i would have done anything like this but you know gradually you learn and i understand the value of it and i'm at a point where i've already seen massive value of of various changes i've made particularly with uh food groups i've introduced and others i've taken away and i thought well let's see what happens and uh Here's the shock news for you. One month taking all that stuff out, not much happened. Really? It, yeah. I mean, in terms of immediate effects, uh, you hear people saying, oh, I, I got rid of this and I, I felt totally different uh, within five minutes. And, uh, <laughs> and saw, that happens it didn 't happen for me, and it was only a meeting with a friend of mine who has recently become vegan and has cut out alcohol, alcohol completely and who feels much better but he 's done this over a two year period and he, he said, look, a month a month just isn 't really cutting it your body's going to need a lot longer you 're trying to undo thirty nine years of eating the wrong stuff or some of the wrong stuff relatively you 're not going to do it in a month you you need to go longer so uh I'm at the point where I'm debating whether to do that. But having come to India, where you would think this is the land of vegetarians, chickpeas, dal, fresh food, not very much alcohol, all of that good stuff. It hasn't been corrupted too badly by crappy Western food and sugar. Um, this would be the perfect place to continue my diet. And I thought that until I got here and realized that 90% of the stuff I can't eat without, without it killing me. So I basically just need to eat whatever I can, just to get some calories in.
1: Hmm. So, so are you, uh, I guess you already answered the question, are you continuing the diet? Right now you're not, because there's not enough variety there, correct?
5: Uh, the, the variety is here, but um, the hygiene is not for the softer Western palate. Okay. And that means that you have to be very careful what you eat unless you want to spend your time welded to the toilet rather than doing the stuff you're here to do
0: so did your what what experiences did your wife have as yeah, not not necessarily with well, the we're, toilet we're assuming that your wife did the diet with you right I, I, yeah I, I i think that she has oh she she did the diet with you
5: uh, were you listening to his story that. yeah you, you've got to do it as a team thing, I think. It's just too bad otherwise. And uh, Yeah, she she's vegetarian already, but like me, sweet tooth and other stuff like that, so we, we would always have a bit of that going on regardless of how clean and healthy the rest of our diet. And she loves her coffee, being Italian. And so it was hard for both of us. Most of the conversation in the early days centered around, can you feel anything? And the answer was, <laughs> no, can you feel anything? And we'd plough on, but there's... There's definitely something we're getting towards the end, and, and, and there is a, a feeling of uh, increased lightness, I, I think, which is possibly down to weight loss because you're not eating anything anymore. <laughs> um, it's, it's hard to, to find that balance again. But I would like to continue it in a less extreme vein, and I think for me I would really like to keep the sugar out and, and the processing out and allow you know, occasional with the others because I don't seem to have any strong reaction to any of them.
1: Did you, did you mention um, meat? Are you eating any meat, or did you cut the meat out too?
5: No, I, I, am, I am happy to eat meat, and uh, always have been, and uh, same goes for fish. Uh, I don't have any moral dilemma with that, um, but if you go too far into this world, um, or, or others would say not far enough, then you can definitely get down to the point where, first of all, all your meat must be uh, organic, um, and, and then you start finding out about really how it's farmed, and then you probably don't want to eat any of it at all. Right. Um, so that 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 I don't see me fancying going that far because for now life's complicated enough, and you know you're busy, and and if you travel around a lot or you work, you know everyone's got their time pressures. Do you really want to dedicate that much time to your diet to, to split the difference between being 99% good and 98% good? I mean, I think I'd be really happy with being 85% good. You know,
0: I'm all for that. You, you, you say your wife's from Italy. Now, now that I know more about Italy, is she from northern Italy or southern <laughs> Italy?
5: She is from northern Italy.
0: Uh huh. That explains So a she's lot, a softie. Yeah. A softie.
1: Two softies.
5: You have a pair of softies.
1: Got it. So here, here's my question. You, you said that you really didn't sense a difference. Um, do you think that the, the 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 change was gradual enough that maybe there was a difference you just didn't notice? My my question for you is this. And Scott doesn't have the answer he's looking for yet, yeah. so he's going to continue. <laughs> so I'm going to continue to the ask the question. So. I, I have done the same thing where I've cut out a lot of uh, the carbohydrates, the processed uh, stuff, and the sugars. I, I'm a big proponent that sugar is not good for you. And diet soda. Oh, I, just I, want I throw yeah, in and real. diet soda. I just want to throw that in there. In, uh, case, in case you didn't know, Scott. Yeah, <laughs> okay. but, but here's the thing. You know, I, I, It was very difficult to give up sugar, um, mm. and I didn't notice a big difference. But the one thing that I over time noticed was I didn't crave Sugar. So somebody would say, Hey, would you like a chocolate? And normally I would say, Yes, can I have two? To you know what? I really don't want any of that. Hmm. It, didn't, it yeah. didn't sound good to me. Did you, have you noticed that?
5: I, I definitely noticed that. I mean, I couldn't agree more that sugar is, I, I believe, the, the worst thing in our diet, uh, both for health, uh, long term and otherwise but also for endurance. It's the worst thing we could be using. And um, I I really enjoyed the, I'm still finishing actually while I'm over here, the podcast that you've been doing with Phil Maffetone. Mm -hmm. Uh, I love that because it was Stu Mittelman's book, which he wrote about burning fat for endurance called Slow Burn. And he'd worked with um, Phil Maffetone a lot to, to learn about that. Uh, that was what first set me into realizing that, hey, you know, sugar's probably not the answer here and, and endless carb ingestion is not the answer either. Um, so I, I couldn't agree more. And I, I, my occasional sugar hits were sort of they, – they were fine in that they didn't affect me physically or visibly. And, you know, when you're doing a lot of exercise, I, I'd love – there was a quote from someone on your your podcast not so long ago – I, I ultra run because I ultra eat. You know, you can kind of.
1: <laughs> yep. Put, put, Jimmy two, Dean. Yeah. that was Jimmy Dean.
5: Uh, I, I I really like that one. And and you know, I would have been in that camp before, but I'm like, actually now, no, this can be better. And yes, I felt good not having sugar in my diet. And uh, those first couple of weeks were hard, but once it's out, it gets an awful lot easier.
0: Now, I, I realize that we're on a video call, and you're in India, and we're over here in California, but i got to tell you, you look good, Warren. I think your complexion, just your aura, you look energetic. I think it's working. I think you're selling, I think you're selling the diet short.
5: Well, I, I, you, you may be right. I thank you very much for that. I would like to say that both of you look absolutely gorgeous this morning. Yeah, it's ravishing. the lighting. And those Trail Runner Nation visors – Get yours at www.trailrunnernation.com trailrunnernation. dot <laughs> com. all white or blue, really? You have no pride.
0: It. You have no pride do you? <laughs> so it, all we have to do is compliment Warren, and he'll be he'll yeah. be he'll be he'll be hawking Pl- the gear, plugging our website. Nice. <laughs> we're, we're on it here. It's uh, like
1: scratching a dog and getting him to well, you know, kick his leg. I can't remember if it was if it was uh, Doctor Maffetone or maybe it was uh, this video series on YouTube called the Skinny the skinny on obesity. Um, and I'll link that, but someone said that, that, that sugar is more addictive than heroin. And it's probably uh, one of the most abused substances on earth. That was the heroin dealer on the corner. <laughs> <too>. <laughs> ah, you, you, yeah. you don't have a problem with this.
5: <laughs> Fine. Fine. You've had a Mars bar, right? This is just like that. Um, yeah, no, I I, I think it, it may well be if it's not if it's not as addictive as heroin, um, which by all accounts is less addictive than cocaine. Rats, when given cocaine, will keep hitting the bar to get cocaine in the experiment until they're dead. Whereas heroin rats actually survive much longer because heroin sends you to sleep, so you kind of have a natural uh, <laughs> night and day cycle. Anyway, that that's a bit of an, an aside. But um, <laughs> for your running tip. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. If you're a runner and you want to keep your life together, heroin is your, your class A <laughs> drug of choice. Um, but sugar, no, a- absolutely uh, not a good thing um, and largely uh, allowed to slip under the radar while fat was possibly unreasonably demonized. Um, and then it's thrown into absolutely everything because we like the taste and we do respond to the taste of sugar, which must be that addiction element um so the more sugar manufacturers put into stuff and i would include pretty much all sports nutrition in there then uh, the more we want it and uh under the guise of sports nutrition hell we've even got science telling us it's good and uh, a reason to eat as much as we like um but that, that's probably a topic for another day and a famous
1: um, a, fi- a famous nanny a british nanny said it helps the medicine go down
5: uh, a spoonful of sugar. And she never said what <laughs> the spoon was, did she? And She was a flying nanny, and you can't really trust them.
0: <laughs> did did we create her over here, or is she, is she authentic uh, England from
1: England? Julie Andrews is from England. Is she? I don't know that kind of stuff. Heck yeah. Sorry. Mary Poppins was an English uh, thing, wasn't it?
5: I believe the... Uh, I, I'm going to go out on a limb here and uh, any Trailrunner Nation members who uh, know their Mary <laughs> Poppins better, feel free to correct this. I'm going to say that book was written in England and I am going to say that Mary Poppins is an English character and it is best known here for Dick Van Dyke with the worst Cockney accent ever.
0: <laughs> Are you kidding? We, we we thought that was just a stellar performance and a, a very accurate Oscar rendition. worthy. Oscar
5: yes.
1: worthy.
0: An
5: accurate portrayal of, of a true East End Londoner. My God, you couldn't be further from the truth. If he walked into an East End pub, he would be stabbed in the eye before he'd finished ordering his drink.
1: That, that's one of the reasons why I want to someday visit England, is to watch the chimney sweeps dance at night.
5: Uh, the, uh, the, the traditional chimney sweep dancing. Come on over, I will take you to see it. Uh, <laughs> might have to go somewhere else afterwards, but... Maybe if you're drinking up before you 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 will see it, but I, I think just to come back on your thing, Don. Maybe my friends uh, when I when I met him and he, he's been abroad for a long time and he came back and it was just last week and he was telling me you know you know a month isn't enough on your diet if if you're really serious about this you want to go further and I think that was I, mean, I don't believe in fate but here's another little timely intervention and I might just kick this one on a bit further and. As I'm getting back into running, that was the thing. I didn't have the benchmark of running to really know how it was affecting me fitness-wise. I want to see what's uh, what's coming there, and and if the results are there, well, I'd like to carry on.
0: Scott, that was a redirection from a professional. Did you see how he took it from Mary Poppins and oh, right yeah. back into? It's because he is a professional. I know it. I just Mary started-
1: Poppins was very anti-professional. Okay. All right. Here's my question for you, and and I think that that I see this a lot. You know, you see somebody that does a diet whatever that is and then they become this evangelizing nuisance to the rest of us saying oh you need to do this because it it, it works so well for me are you finding yet Warren that you're becoming a nuisance to your friends where you're starting to preach the the benefits <laughs> of anti sugar and 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 demoralizing and belittling your friends that sit in the dark and eat chocolate
5: <laughs> yeah, nuisance that is is the word. Um let's I, I really that puts me off the diet more than anything else. It it makes you potentially a nuisance. And uh I, I that I find quite difficult in that, first of all, you know, you, you can it's it's all right not drinking. Um it, it's all right not uh having dessert. But when you're getting to the point where you're, I can't eat that, or I can't eat this, or, I just need to eat that, or I brought my own food, um, socially, I, I find that can be a bit much. And I, I would like to remain normal within that context while still you know, keeping a balance with what I want. So on uh, the preachy side, you've got to be careful. I find with runners, it's okay. You know, They get it. They understand you're doing this for performance. But you notice my, my title for the topic, eating like a hippie freak. And there is that element that my God, how, how weird has life become when, when you're really starting to eat like this? But as an aside, it's becoming less weird because I did a job recently and it was a filming job. Um, we were a few days in Italy and traditionally film crews, I'm sure they're the same over there. They're not healthy people. You know, these are guys who, who spend their lives on the road, traveling around, eating in service stations, smoking, drinking coffee, uh, Red Bull, whatever it takes to do the 18-hour days and get up again and do the next one, um, and then boozing hard until they fall over at the end of the job. And I went thinking, this is a crew I haven't worked with before, and I'm not eating all this stuff, and I'm not drinking, and it's all going to be a bit weird. And instead, what do you know, one of the guys was uh, like a semi-professional climber. Another one was a very high-level climber. Another one was into his running. Another one was thinking about veganism. And the one guy who was still mainlining Red Bull coffee and uh, (laughs) cigarettes looked at us and and said, what on earth's happened to this job? I feel like I've walked into an episode of Men's Health or something.
0: As you were saying that, Warren, it made me think of of really all the things that we're asking our bodies to do on the trail, that maybe we owe it to our body to be be a a bit more selective with our nutrition, you know, and – and not just take advantage of how kind our body is to us, because it will do it on Red Bull and cigarettes and and all the things you're talking about somehow it still takes that processed sugar in and allows you to do your sport and so I think I've been taking advantage of of my chemistry and uh, and our genetic you know makeup I need to be a little kinder i need to, I need to make better food selection so Although I don't feel you've been preachy, I hear the message. So well, I think it's good. I need to do that. And
1: I I will say, I think I, I'm going to just be reiterating what you said in a much simpler and concise way. Yeah, well, you, had, <laughs> you, you had the chance of me laying it out. It's easy for you, Scott. <laughs> jo- Go ahead. I'm joking. No, it's good. We give each other a hard time. Um, no, it, you know, <laughs> our bodies, if you think about it, is a machine. right? And what other machine do you know that can take in stuff that it's not supposed to convert to energy and, and can convert it to energy. Uh, you know, you'd never, you know, fill your gas tank full of ketchup. This is
0: more concise and shorter, <laughs> more <laughs> just so you know, by definition.
1: Now So what I'm saying is oh, is oh, put you're still going food is fuel, fuel. You know make sure fuel. you're
0: putting in premium fuel. All right, into your high-performance machine. Right. O- on that topic, and this is dragging it out. I'm going to define what this is, Warren. I'm not making anything concise. I'm just dragging the conversation <laughs> through the mud. That, <laughs> you oh know, I-, I see the, the less fortunate individuals sometimes that might have selected a lifestyle of a brown paper bag and a, a street corner. And, and and that's this is the individual I'm talking about. And there can be circumstances and situations that have put them there that... And, and I, So I'm not judging that person. It could be me, but, but it isn't right now. But I think, how is it that they take some rum or whatever they're drinking and convert those molecules into an eyeball into, to allow the body to exist with energy and reproduce all of the vital organs? How is it? The body's amazing that it can take just nothing and create it into something so precious and, and delicate. How does that happen? I don't know.
5: Well, <laughs> I, I think there's maybe an element that the um, the person using uh, the, the brown paper bag nutrition plan <laughs> is not so much creating all these wonderful things as slowly destroying them, and it's the slowness of that destruction that is probably the remarkable thing, um, uh, rather than the fact that they continue to improve with it. I, I, I don't know, I think there's a balance there in that if you go too far that way, and you're absolutely right, You know, it's circumstances and, and any of us could be there for, for want of any, any changes in our lives but I think once you get to that point you're starting to take yourself apart and the borderline lies where you have a choice of what you eat and yet you're not exercising that choice quite so well and you're still eating quite a lot of processed crappy stuff without maybe without really realizing it habitually, and that is going to be at best holding you at a flat line point, and you could be much better if you were to look at tweaking that
0: so so let me rephrase that to make to make um to more simple mo-
1: and concise no
0: no no <laughs> isn't it amazing, Warren? how the brown paper bag diet allows a person to sustain some sort of existence for quite a while. (laughs) Although Uh, it doesn't hold it, but how do they just maintain themselves for any length of time based on that poison?
5: uh, Absolutely. Yeah, that is completely amazing and almost sits in the same target as, I mean, now that the more you learn about diet and the more you realize what, what's good and and bad, both long-term performance The more you you look at people eating, you know, muffins and a a large coffee with a ton of milk in it and and sugar and stuff for breakfast and thinking, how are you even going to be awake in half an hour? Mm. And yet they are.
1: That's interesting. So I'm going to move on to the uh, the last topic. Did we just did we just crack Warren up? Yeah, Warren, <laughs> that, it, in the business that's called a
0: segue, and, and and you might want to rewind. Interesting, and then a pause, and then just read the next bullet point.
5: <laughs> I, I, I think that was good, and, and, and segue is, is a good word because it's those ridiculous contraptions that kind of just make people stare and, and not really know what to say. And I think that's what just a little. Segue. Going through in the tumbleweed, you know, just buzzing past in the background.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Scott, what's your next? No, one? my 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 final topic that I, you know, the nation has just been dying this whole podcast because they knew that we were talking to Warren. They want to know how the new prince is.
5: Yeah, that the, the new prince. Well, um, he uh, he he nearly spoiled my rehab, um, <laughs> you know, because uh, he he was born as the world know, and I think there's a there's a satirical magazine here. Uh, here, not in India, in, in the UK, and they they said it best that week with the headline, Woman Has Baby. <laughs> Perspective.
1: <laughs> That's news. That
5: is the, end, the beginning and the end of the story, and yet the world's media have got, I do not know how many hours and and column inches out of it, but uh, it's a bit more than those uh, three words. He was born at St. Mary's Hospital, which is around the corner from my house and where I had to go for an ultrasound scan on both of my Achilles. And I I went around there to go in and nearly couldn't get into the hospital because the entire world's media appeared to be camped in the street. And they were there for two weeks. And um, the most amazing fact about that was that when the story did finally break, what do you know? A woman had a baby. Um, (laughs) There were no pictures from outside the hospital. I'm like, well, the, the entire media pack was there, and, and why, why did that not happen? But uh, he's there, and um, he's there. Uh, we, we, What is he, third in line to the throne or something? And um, uh, now a number of um, media outlets, uh, you know, what's it going to be like their first night with the baby and this, that, and the other? Let's face it. Um, Kate and William are not going to be down at the supermarket at 3 o'clock in the morning in their pajamas going, oh, my God, there's no formula. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's going to be kind of different. I think he's going to be fine.
1: Okay. Well, on a more serious note, we know that your Achilles is starting to, to heal. You're, you're mm-hmm. running again. Uh, what, uh, what are your plans? What are your race plans?
5: Okay. So um, I, I have just yesterday... Uh, pulled the pin on my Ultra Trail to Mont Blanc entry for this year. Uh, right. I just really had to admit, you know, there's no way. You know, I, I'm running again, but I'm not running 100 miles, and I'm not running it there. There's nowhere to hide there, and I am nowhere near ready. I've lost, well, seven or eight months of training this year. So forget it. Um, however, first first I want- of all, let
1: me let me interrupt. I apologize. I said great huh? because I didn't catch the the British euphemism pulling the pin. I thought pulling the pin was a good thing, Pulling the Ooh. pin is a bad thing. You pulled the pin, yes, meaning no, I, I, you are not going to be doing it.
5: I am not going to be doing Sorry it. Sorry no, about it that. Is, no, no, that, that's all right. That's all right. And it, I think it is great that I'm not doing it because it's a, it's a mental shift, and I just needed to stop worrying about that and get on to the next one.
0: So, so Warren, just, just, just so I can link these two uh, nations together, both England mm-hmm. and America, here we would pull
1: the plug. You pull the pin, ah, I- we pull the plug. The, the plug right, in the bathtub, yeah, I, pull the plug in the bathtub, what? so you let the thing drain, right?
0: Or, or perhaps the plug being life support system, the, the oh, ultimate I didn't plug. even think about that. You're in the health profession. Sorry, pull the. Well, <laughs> we're not pulling the plugs over here in chiropractic. <laughs> <laughs> I'm bad neck.
5: I'm sorry. That's terminal.
1: <laughs> so, so, so you're not doing uh, Mont Blanc. What, what do you have on well, the radar? Well, I, I have.
5: Uh, I have a a new goal. I need something to to focus on and, and to help get me out there and, and keep me motivated. And um, for for reasons that uh, I am itching to disclose to the nation in due course, uh, hopefully very soon, but not today, mm-hmm. I am going to be in America with my wife in November, mm-hmm. and uh, I realised that. Uh, when I was in Lavaredo, I was lucky enough to meet both Mike Foote and Mike Wolfe, who uh, did some sterling work there. And I said to them, look, I'm going to be in the U.S. and I, I should be running again by then. What would you recommend? And about the first thing that came up on their list, they said Grand Canyon rim-to-rim. Yeah.
1: Wow. yeah. Rim-to-rim or and rim-to-rim-to-rim?
5: Rim-to-rim-to-rim. Okay. But with an option to pull out a rim-to-rim if the Achilles aren't up okay. to it. Um, I don't know how that works logistically at all, I'm, but I'm just, and it, it's going to be my 40th birthday while I'm out in uh, in the US in November. So I'm figuring, on my 40th birthday, run across the Grand Canyon. That that's a really nice goal to shoot for, and to say, right, I'm back in a place where I can put my Alpe d'Huez Mont Blanc entry in, and try and get myself another place, and make that the big goal for next year. So, uh, given that it's uh, that america place which i think is quite near to you um i wondered if you might fancy a run in november if this ridiculous plan comes Scott, together we've been
0: looking for an excuse you know, to run uh, across know, that I,
1: grand canyon i've been wanting to do it for a while that may that may be that may be the one on my list i'm, committ- do yeah. know, do I'm committed what, do you know what date do you have a date or time frame
5: uh, well for, for anyone there wanting to send a, a birthday card it's the 20th of november <laughs> um so that, that's the one we're shooting for.
1: Good. All right. Write it down, Scott. I'm writing it down.
0: 20th of November. All right. Well, uh, that, that, sound, that sounds like a good trip. I'd like to. Uh, did, did we receive an invitation or did we invite ourselves on that, Scott? No, we have he, to. He, did he, he extend that? Yeah, he's going okay, to be careful about that.
5: Good. An invitation to, uh, to come and run in your own back garden. Now, um, but I, I have no idea how this works logistically. I've just seen it. And I, I think that's probably ignorance is probably best at this moment. But you know, so. we
1: have a good friend named James Barstad who has done it multiple times and puts All together. All the logistics are taken care yeah, of. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk to him and find out how to do it. He may even come. Pretty certain you head east. <laughs> and then when you
5: level out, you head west.
1: You go down and then back up.
5: <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, down, along, up, turn around, go back. I've read a bit about it, but it just looks, I mean, what what a way to see uh, one of the greatest natural wonders on Earth. And I I saw it as a 10-year-old, and I I went, well, that's a big hole. And I was more interested in the fact, my first real time in America then, that uh, you had bubblegum gum that was shaped like hamburgers. <laughs> I, uh, like I remember
0: cake. that. Yeah, those were good. Individually wrapped, I believe. Correct in their own cellophane. It, in,
5: individually wrapped in little styrofoam boxes. So I, I would like. I would just love, love to do it. And if you guys are up for it, I think we could make a hell of a hell of a road trip and uh, a bit of a trip around. It would it. be.
0: Uh, it would be podcast worthy, no doubt, and, and an, an honor and to run and an to honor. run with the 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 mayor. The mayor, run with the mayor. Very good, Warren. <laughs>
5: <laughs> now, now talking with running with the mayor. And I know we're, we're coming to end of time here, which is perfect. Uh, this morning, I am running with the major. Ah. Uh-huh. He, he is the major of the local uh, military school, who uh, it, it's on their land that the world's highest cricket pitch is. So, given that the clouds have cleared this morning, I'm going to go for a, a run around the perimeter up there with the major and uh, check it all out. Well, interesting,
0: Warren. You're uh, you're always traveling the world and sharing with us uh, the, the adventures that are that are out there for for us to listen to and learn
1: about, and it's awesome. You're a good nation friend. Thank you very much.
5: Thank you very much for having me. As ever, it's a, a pleasure and a delight to catch up with you and. Uh, I realized I can't believe it. it's like over a year ago, I think we did the first podcast and uh, I've really enjoyed just hanging out and getting to know you guys. And if we can, uh, if we can pull off a run in November, well, that would be uh, the icing. Uh, well, if Not that we have to take the course too much. Sugar.
0: <laughs> good. You, you might want to pack your own uh, uh, nutrition for the, the course. <laughs> if you're going to be.
5: <laughs> I, I might have an idea for that. We'll, we'll, we'll come. To that, I'm Excellent.
0: Sure. Okay, good. I think I know what you're hinting to and we'll keep it right there for now. Trail Renovation members, Grab your Trail Runner Nation handbook.
1: <laughs> Wait, there's a handbook? No. And, <laughs> and uh, get. Warren, a co- you need to write a handbook. You're the writer.
5: Write a nation. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll, I'll I'll get on it. You know, I'll um I'll work on it. It might be a bit rambling and short at the moment, but let, let's let's cook something up. Good.
1: Go to uh, We Are Nation on Twitter. On Twitter. Go to the website. Uh, we weareNation.com you know, wa- I live for the end of these podcasts because don looks at me like he's never done this before in his life i've never done it the same twice what what's what's our website address i have it bookmarked i really don't have to i just go scroll to the thing hit that he doesn't even know anyway i just love this part because he, he he goes to finish and he looks at me like i'm gonna finish it he
0: you're definitely my my safety net and i and i lean on that quite a bit but what I've noticed is there's a different call name for the Twitter place and the uh, Facebook and the and the website. All three are, are unique and different, and so that's confusing to me.
5: <laughs> it, it, it is. This, this confusing landscape of technology, it's difficult, you know. Um, but uh, if people were just in the phone book like the old days, wouldn't it be it easy? Would be.
0: Left foot, right foot, that's what I do on the trail. That's mm-hmm. what I know. I put on a pelli. Um, sir, make sure that uh, you're wearing your cocapelli as you're going to run with the major. You will find that That's your cool. your uh, Achilles, both of them, will respond and treat you well. What? Yeah, just there. Is, that, a, is the that all you there. want to do? I just didn't have any final wrap. We'll go out and run, Moss